Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Dimity McDowell, the OG. Hello, Dimity. Now I remember what that means, original gangster. <laughs> gangster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? In this Good. Middle weekend, middle stretch of August, I guess we, we're in. Yes, yes. I am I am good. I am good. Um, I really got, I got nothing for the intro. I want to know what bad TV shows are you watching, Sarah? Like, do you watch bad TV? Are you, or are you as strict about that as you are about making dinner every night? <laughs> and I know you say that with praise, not derision in your voice, Timothy. I saw one, one tweet that's like, just let your kids make dinner one night. I'm like, yes, Sarah, just let your kids make dinner one night. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So similarly, are you going to watch Married at First Sight? Are you going to watch Alone on Netflix? Because I'm ready to talk about those. (laughs) No, because, okay, so when I was um, particularly um, in middle school and high school, I just vividly remember walking to go out with my friends and I'd say to my dad, oh, we're going to go see, I specifically remember Porky's. And my dad goes, oh, that got very bad reviews in the New York Times. And I just was like, okay, dad, that's, that's, it's Porky. So I wasn't expecting a, a masterpiece. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And so finally, just every time it would be that way, you know, dad, you know, Friday the 13th, you know, the fog, whatever. I wasn't expecting the New York times to praise it. So finally I'm like, dad, I don't care what the New York times thinks. Well, you know what? Actually, I do care what the New York Times. Well, I was about to say, but don't you sometimes just need like, so I watch, so I have to give a little shout out to Alone on Netflix and I've got to, I want to hear on Twitter or Facebook or wherever if other people have watched this. Do you know, so have you heard of it, Sarah? I haven't even heard of it, no. Uh Uh-uh. What it is, well, season six is on Netflix. Um, I think some other seasons are spread out on various channels otherwise. Um, What it is, they drop 10 very skilled outdoors people like people who teach survival courses and like krav maga and like you know hunt for their like you know for their family like regularly um into the arctic wilderness Mm -hmm. okay um and basically it's like survivor but they're by themselves and so whoever so they they get to they're dropped with 10 things so they get to pick like the 10 Mm. they want so it's like you know, um, a bow and arrow and a net to catch fish. And, and- a John Ham calendar. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, <laughs> never mind. That's what I'd bring. Never mind. Okay, go ahead. Oh, they get to bring one picture. So you could bring in one picture of John Ham, but you could. Okay. Okay. Um, that's that's an addition. So it's ten plus a picture. Just okay. To- um, and then they and and other things like fire starting. You know, I don't know what other. They don't really lay it out, but it's a very mellow show in that, mm. like you know, not a lot happens because excuse me, all they really want to do is go and kill things, right? They have to, they have to have their own food, right? So they're fishing, they're looking for moose. They, they, oh, they set up snares for like rabbits, like snares out of sure. like, you know, trees and things. To that, catch their little back foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of cool, but it's, it's, um, I will say it's a little, I watched once. So Ben and I have been watching it. Um, mm-hmm. I watched once while eating dinner in front of the TV, which I know is something you never do either, but I do sometimes. Um, and that was a little gross because they show them skinning like, oh, geez. rabbits and like cutting one guy got a moose. So they showed him, you know, Oh, dressing the moose. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's like, it's almost like the great British baking show, a very different topic, of course. <laughs> 
but it's 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 soothing in the way that survivors do. like it's very nice because you kind of know what's going to happen right um in that like it's not like you have to follow along with the plot line so sometimes i'll do it while i'm doing like my crossword puzzle book or um you know uh or ben will color or sometimes i'll be like catching up on emails and stuff and it's just a nice way to kind of have um a shared experience without having to concentrate too hard on tv and that's what i think bad tv is for is just like having it take your mind off of something but without having to concentrate too hard Oh, I definitely have shows like that. For me, I love, I, I do, I watched The Great Bitter, British Baking Show when it was, um, when there were new episodes of it. I love um, a good short comedy. So like I just watched watched Working Moms on Netflix. That was like, you know, they're each like 25 episodes long. They're witty. They're you know, about women friends and kind of the issues women face. But I also like, I will rewatch Dairy Girls or sex education on Netflix just over and over and over again. I've probably seen all of Dairy Girls, I don't know, four or five times. I watch, um, oh, um, oh God, Fleabag. I watch that, like, I, although I still have not watched the last two episodes of that. I've watched um, the first season of that like four or five times. I've watched Catastrophe a bunch. So I love a good laugh. A good laugh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, like to, I like the real stuff. I mean... <laughs> And in very big quotation marks, right? Because it's very um, scripted or not scripted reality TV, but they definitely edit. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's my newest one. And then I, I have watched, I dug in the other night um, to uh, Married at First Sight, which is like a life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. You just, I mean, sometimes you just can't look away, right? <laughs> it's a train wreck. Um, but but kind of fun to, again, in that like very vicarious living, oh, wow, suddenly, you know, <laughs> fight that Grant and I just had didn't seem so bad or whatever. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, so those are my uh, my real life recommendations. Okay, well, I and I am eager to dive into uh, Indian Matchmaker, but I haven't yet gotten there. So I know that's getting all the, all the raves. Um, uh, there is another Netflix series about weddings. Just say yes or say I do, which is something about like surprise weddings that Amelia mm. got into. And she said, it's really good. She said that we could watch it together. So she'll rewatch it and, and I'll watch it for the first time. And then okay. I love the, the queer eye. I mean, I could, I could watch those again and again. Those are just awesome, awesome feel good episodes. The other short comedy one I love, and then I plan on rewatching again is um, never have I ever. It's a teen thing. And um, the lead, the hot guy in it is so hot. And it turns out the actor's 29. So it's totally fine to crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not a cougar. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I still am, but uh, a little, you know, at least I won't get arrested for it. Um, so, um. <laughs> well, there you go. so I think that's a nice segue into yeah. you know, things that calm us down. Yes. That- soothing or make us laugh which is all kind of stress relief right Sarah yes yes because today we're going to be talking about the effect of stress on the body and on running our guest is Dr. Chloe Carmichael PhD a clinical psychologist in her Manhattan-based private practice Dr. Carmichael specializes in helping people manage and understand stress she's the author of Nervous Energy Harness the Gift of Anxiety for Success set for publication next year and if being a doctor and a writer isn't enough to keep her busy, Dr. Chloe is a certified yoga instructor. Dimity and I will talk with Dr. Chloe after this brief, hopefully non-stressful break. Stay with us. Thank you for talking with us, Dr. Chloe. Uh, 
tell us a bit about your professional background as well as your athletic background? As I mentioned in the intro, we know you're a certified yoga instructor. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am a former yoga teacher, so I started off as a yoga teacher, always been very into the body-mind connection, and then I was teaching privately and found that through those private teachings, I was more focused on the student's personal progress and kind of the mental side as well as the physical side. So that's why I decided to get a PhD in clinical psychology. And now I'm working a lot with private clients, finding that when we target a goal, whether it be with running or an athletic goal, training the mind is oftentimes really connected with training the body and it works in both directions. So I love working with athletes. Nice, nice. And a way to make a big jump. Um, <laughs> like, oh, I'm interested in the mind-body connection. I'll get a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was always an interest of mine too. I have to say, you know, as a little girl, when I learned about the job of a psychologist, my first thought was like, wow, people will pay you and then come and tell you all their secrets. <laughs> like they'll pay you and you get to listen to their secrets. Oh my gosh. Like, so I had a pre-existing uh, bias towards maybe wanting to be a psychologist. Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, so um, around another mother runner, uh, we and the coaches um, often talk about um, our audience, tell, t- tell our audience, our female runners, um, that often our bodies don't grasp the difference between um, different kinds of stress. So stress that we experience during a 10 mile run versus stress of a child who might be having some problems in school versus the stress of this pandemic. Um, is that true? Uh, I'm hoping so, but maybe you can explain a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think that's very true. And I'll even add another type of stress that our bodies can't always differentiate, which is called eustress. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. So it's E-U, like the same thing as euphoria. Mm. So it's positive stress. So even when it's a lot of excitement, like you just finished a big run or it's positive news, your body still gets a lot of adrenaline and it still, you know, takes up a lot of energy energy in your life and your mind, even though it's positive, it's still actually you stress is a stress. Mm. That's so interesting, Sarah. It, it just reminds me of like Sarah and I uh, have written a couple books and gone on book tours and we would come home from, you know, a stop, uh, you know, get back to our hotel room at like 9.30 or 10 and just be flying in the way that like you couldn't go to bed. I mean, it was fun. It was good. It was like that positive experience, but it, it reminds me now that you say that of the way that you know, you feel also when something hasn't gone well. Yeah, it's like you're amped up. It's game time. It's fight or flight. It's all in. You're sweating. It's let's go. It's yeah. So they they do all kind of blend together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking about that, 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 you know, so we've all experienced stress of a very immediate situation. Like maybe it's that pit in the feeling of our, you know, in our stomachs as we're standing in a starting corral of a race or our knuckles clenching on a steering wheel when we're stuck in traffic which I realize are both pre-pandemic scenarios. Um, so we can try to remember what that's like, but, um, but what are the long-term, less immediate physical reactions to stress? And as in, what are some possible lasting effects of stress? Well, I think that what can happen is that we can almost get addicted to the stress in the long term. Um, so that would be, you know, when it's almost like you're looking for something 
to get um, excited about, so to speak. You know, um, excitement is actually, it's a form of engagement and, and it can feel almost like a high. So whether it's a big project or a big race, I oftentimes will help clients to plan things that are going to be you know, almost like a replacement because their mind has this cognitive habit that whenever you have a moment of free time, you should be focusing on that goal. And then when the goal is complete, your mind almost doesn't know where to track when you have those free moments. The good news is, is that there are some easy fixes, like just simply planning ahead. I remember when I was finishing um, school and I would have big exams, big semester you know, finales, I would always plan to just attend a yoga retreat leaving like the day after the semester. And I needed that almost like a buffer to kind of ease myself out of that frenzied, get it all goal state. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Do you have, um, so, so scale back to where we are now in August. And I mean, what are some ways helping clients that maybe it's not travel related? Like what can you do to really lean into a quiet Sunday? Yeah, I mean, like, so even if you're not going to go anywhere, it could even be something as simple as planning to have, um, say, a, a three-person Sunday brunch, you know, if, if you know that you've got a big thing happening on Saturday, a big meeting, or just anything that you know has you really pumped, then you could at least plan for yourself to get together with some friends and have some some kind of time and place where you can process, you know, what's going on. Or, you know, suppose that you know that you're going to have a big event happening and then when it's done and you, you're looking for new things that your mind can focus on, that would be the time to maybe order yourself a few new books that you can dive into. The idea is just to plan ahead knowing that there's going to be a void in you when that goal is completed. Some There's some place that your body and mind are used to pouring all their extra energy and they want a new home for that energy. So whether it's planning to have brunch with friends or some new you know, books or you know, even lining up a new podcast that you've been wanting to listen to all of the episodes, just giving yourself some kind of programming for your day will help a lot than just leaving yourself listless, so to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I promise I won't turn this into a, a personal therapy session for myself. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, you know, I find, and I find definitely with our crowd is that we're addicted to being busy. Right. And like, you kind of talked about this, like that feeling of stress, you're kind of addicted to it. And um, it's very difficult. I'm getting better at it, at it, at it as I get older, but sitting still. So, I mean, reading a book is awesome because I feel like I'm doing something and not just not doing something, right? Like I'm, earlier, I was talking to Sarah about like watching bad TV. Well, I often do something else while I'm watching bad TV, like a crossword puzzle or answering emails or something like that. Um, so I'm just curious if that is is bad. And if so, if if you need to Find, you know, find those pauses in your life, even if it isn't after a big event, like an exam weekend or a, a big project for work or a race? Well, I think as far as addictions go, you know, being addicted to, you know, productivity and, and actually it kind of enjoying wrestling with a challenge and always wanting something, you know, 
the more that you're growing into or tackling, there's, there's nothing really wrong with that per se. Um, at the same time though, we do need to recognize that resting and rejuvenating is productive. It is an accomplishment. One of my um, supervisors in graduate school gave me some of the most helpful advice, you know, that I've ever had. And it's only three words. But when I was working with clients in graduate school, I was such an eager beaver. And I always wanted to be offering, you know, tips and tools and solutions, etc. And he finally said to me, you know, Chloe, listening is doing. Mm -hmm. Listening is doing. And I found that so actually therapeutic for me just to realize that by really just listening, I was doing something for the client. Um, and of course, I still always want to do more than just listening, but it was helpful for me. And I think it's applicable here that listening to yourself is doing. Mm -hmm. So if you just sit and you, you know, kind of silently do a mindfulness exercise or really just observe yourself without trying to have any deep thoughts in meditation or anything, but you're just doing an observation of your thoughts, just saying, if I watch my thoughts for five minutes, where will they go? Or if I just sit here letting my body enjoy what it feels like to be supported by the couch, lying down here, feeling the fabric, um, enjoying this beautiful day, um, maybe you can silently say to yourself, um, relaxing is doing, rejuvenating is doing, because it's, again, it's great. I love being productive and there's nothing wrong with it at all. But when you feel like maybe it's starting to prevent you from also really enjoying the resting and recharging part, you can let yourself know that resting and recharging are productive. You don't have to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've, I found that I now tell myself, particularly now in the pandemic when I don't have to be, you know, picking my kids up as many places or going to, you know, meetings offsite, that sort of thing. I just tell myself, Sarah, you're not in any hurry. It's, it's okay to just stand here or it's okay to just space out and look at the garden and, and just think that like you have, and I tell myself, you have nothing better to be doing. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that for an hour, but you know, for, for a few minutes you have, it's okay. There's nothing better you should be doing. Well, I mean, whatever works for you, Sarah, mm -hmm. my, my only, you know, kind of like thought or pushback, if you don't mind a yeah. little bit there, is that to me, kind of the embedded message in there is that what you're doing isn't very valuable. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you have nothing better to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would love for you to know is that standing and, and staring at the garden is important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the body and the mind need to rest and recharge. And when we have creative breakthroughs, study after study shows that it often comes from a moment of idle time, right? Mm -hmm. And there, there's nothing like having that moment of being in repose and then feeling an urge to get up and move or feeling the aha moment of a thought. And we can't really ever have that if we don't allow ourselves to have that pause. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, you know, again, whatever kind of self-talk works for you, mm -hmm. I would be curious to see what would happen if you tried something just like saying to yourself, Sarah, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing right now. Mm -hmm. Great job taking in the garden, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's really good. One of the other things that I tell myself often when I like, oh my gosh, how can I have so much to do on a day when I have nowhere to be <laughs> is that I have all the time I need 
Like, Dimity, I have all the time I need. You have all the time you need. And that often gets me just to like come down and be like, okay, you know what? Because you do, I don't have, I'm not running around picking up the kids. I'm not worrying about, you know, being at a meeting or whatever. Um, and I think that's, is, is that, what, what's your take on that, Dr. Chloe? You have yeah, no, I, I, I like that because it's reassuring. It's, you know, reassuring yourself that you have all the time you need. So, um, you know, I've, I've been in New York City for 20 years and we, we hurry everywhere. <laughs> And so sometimes I'll just, I'll literally find myself like, you know, practically, if not literally, you know, just running through my house and, you know, go, go, go quick, quick, quick. And especially since the pandemic has happened, I've kind of had a similar moment with myself where I'm just like, what exactly is the rush here? You know, um, but I personally think that it's important and I'm not saying that you're doing this at all, but I'll just say for myself, as well as with a lot of clients, um, that, that are self-disciplined and have a lot of focus, there can sometimes be a, a, a tendency towards self-criticism. And so I, what I really like about what your approach was, uh, Dimity, is that you reassured yourself. You said, I have all the time I need here. It wasn't like, Dimity, what's wrong with you? Why are you hurrying? You know what I mean? It wasn't critical. It was just reassuring and so I would try to do you know the same thing as well as to just say you know take a moment you, you've got plenty of time sometimes also taking some I know it's such a cheesy thing but taking some deep breaths is another way that we can slow down our body from a physiological standpoint um, as well as with our minds just taking a moment and giving ourselves permission to slow down a little bit nice all right. Well, Sarah, I think our work here is done. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually have some questions from a woman on our Facebook page, um, and we wanted to ask you a few of them, which I think are uh, very universal, universally applicable. So the first one awesome. from Maureen, she says, um, stress for me manifests itself in grinding my teeth, clenching my jaw, and tightening my shoulders. And the largest source of stress for me at the moment is, a, is the sense of uncertainty and lack of control. Is there a way to let go of the stress of uncertainty in the world so my body can relax? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've actually been talking a lot about this lately with uncertainty. So with high functioning people, which I'm guessing most of your listeners are, <laughs> right? I mean, high functioning people. Yeah, high functioning people are people that go above and beyond being able to you know, kind of meet their own basic needs and then they take it up a notch and that they're really striving for excellence and, you know, having a hobby like running <laughs> to me, like it kind of suggests, you know, that a person is organized and disciplined and focused and wants to invest time and energy and taking good care of themselves. And so high functioning people, when it comes to uncertainty, sometimes need a little help because uncertainty sometimes can signal that we need to spend more time thinking about a certain topic or that we may have missed something. Um, and so a high functioning person might be prone to focus on that topic and try to you know, figure it out. That's a fine strategy unless we're dealing with something like the pandemic where you know, there's no amount of thinking or figuring out, you haven't missed something, you know, you're, it's just gonna spin your wheels and go more into the ruminating, wasting energy space and making yourself anxious space. So when you realize that, that the good news is, is that once you realize it, you can simply say to yourself, um, uncertainty is actually the most appropriate thing I can feel right now. 
and that will help to soothe and quiet the part of yourself that's saying, you know, am I missing something? Um, am I supposed to be doing something or figuring something out? Um, you can say to yourself again, uncertainty is actually the most appropriate thing that I can feel right now. Or, or and or you can also start to put some boundaries around the uncertainty. You might be able to say to yourself, although nobody knows what the future holds, I do know that I will take good care of myself and my loved ones no matter what. Um, you know, and that's just kind of a simple promise that you can make to yourself. Um, now, when we're talking about that, that uh, uncertainty in this particular person's physical manifestations of the stress, I personally would sometimes think of the thoughts as going from the top down and, the, and managing, you know, kind of those thoughts. But then we can also look at the physical manifestations of stress is kind of being from the bottom up. So by learning to relax her jaw and stop clenching her teeth and finding some relaxation techniques there, um, she might even find that she begins to relax her thoughts. So the first you know, phase I gave you there was learning how to relax her thoughts and then she might find her bodily stress dissipates. Another additional strategy is to do some meditations and exhalations where she's focusing on things like with each exhalation, you feel your jaw relax. With each exhalation, you maybe feel your tongue growing heavier in your mouth, you know, um, finding ways to relax the body and then watching the thoughts follow. Mm -hmm. Either or, or all of the above would be potentially helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it I know it seems some days to me like one method works and then, you know, a week later, oh, no, 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 got to relax the mind before the body will follow, whereas the week before maybe it was the body before the mind. Oh, 100%. You know, I mean, obviously that body-mind connection is going to be dynamic and there are certain days when your body, you know, is more responsive or vice versa. Um, I think also it's just sometimes good to rotate mm -hmm the techniques and the styles, because I think we can get almost a little bit inured to them. Mm -hmm. So just the way we can get nose blind if we're selling, uh, smelling the same scented candle all the time, <laughs> we can start to just kind of get almost, um, you know, bored by just the same old techniques. So it's always good to rotate. And if you, you've always, you know, kind of focused on your body, try some mind stuff and the same in, is true in reverse and uh, like I said for me with being a yoga teacher and a clinical psychologist I think both are really fertile places to work upon ourselves and sometimes it's good to rotate mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then that someone leads into a question from Monica who says please talk about the stress and how it affects your sleep and tips on how to fall back asleep when you can't turn the thoughts off so sometimes it seems some things work during the day and then, you know, oftentimes it seems like you really need the big guns at night because that's when everything seems magnified. Yeah, definitely. So I, I noticed one of the things that she said is something I hear a lot from high functioning people um, about needing to turn the thoughts off at night, right? Mm -hmm. So high functioning people have what psychologists, I mean, you know, most, a lot of times in my experience, high functioning people have what psychologists call a high, 
I need for cognition, right? Mm. Which is like, you know, kind of the wheels are always spinning, the mind is always running, which is great until you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> so one thing that can be really helpful, I have found, uh, not, you know, just for me personally, as well as for clients, um, is audiobooks and podcasts. Because if you're going to, I I know we all know, I hope that we shouldn't be watching TV right before we go to sleep. Um, but the, the problem a lot of people say is that TV helps them to just have something else to focus on, to wrap that internal monologue around what's happening, you know, on the show. Or they might read a book, for example. The problem with those activities is that they require you to keep your eyes open. <laughs> And then, of course, the TV as well is bombarding your eyes with big flashing lights, the exact opposite of what you need before you go to sleep. So I'm a big fan, as I said, of audiobooks or podcasts because you can close your eyes. I would also highly recommend a good sleeping mask, mm -hmm. um, especially the kind that lets your... Um, your eyelids move still a little bit. So if you, like, I do have some I like um, at my Amazon store. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you can also just go to Amazon and say, you know, eye mask REM movement. Mm -hmm. um, so putting on an eye mask will block out that light and it takes away that little tiny bit of self-discipline that you have to use to keep your eyes closed while you're going to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and then putting on an audiobook or a podcast can sometimes help with those racing thoughts. One other thing that can be helpful is to get yourself kind of in the mood and a little bedtime routine. Whether you use Google Assistant or Alexa, you can program them so that every night at eight o'clock, it will say, Chloe, it's time for your bedtime routine. And it will put on, say, some nature sounds or something like that. So that way, you're getting your environment to start nudging you hmm. at the right time to go to sleep. Hmm. Hmm. I definitely have to uh, give a plus one to listening to something. I mean, Sarah knows it's from traveling with me forever, but I mean, I've done that since I was, I mean, I remember being in probably seventh grade and listening to the Minnesota twins on the baseball, right? Like audio baseball, right? On my little AM FM radio, just because <laughs> I didn't care about it. Right. It didn't, it didn't matter to me, the outcome. I wasn't a twins fan. I just liked the white noise, the hearing the crowd, all that, you know, and it's definitely transferred to today. Um, and I, I mean, I will say, you know, it's probably not helpful to listen to the news right now. So picking a podcast, that's just kind of fun and chatty or something that you're, just just minimally interested in it because if you're really interested it'll keep you up um or an audiobook like uh when i was on vacation recently um when we went to glacier i listened to um oh gosh i can't remember the name of the title but it was about um these birders these very fanatical bird watching people who wanted to get through like the biggest list they could in a year like see species as they could um and it was awesome because you could be on chapter three or you could be on chapter 11 and it didn't matter <laughs> and it's you know integral to just listening because i you know it, it didn't matter um i mean there were two kind of guys going up against each other but once you knew that premise so that's what i would say as far as picking a topic is something that's just very kind of vanilla mm -hmm. yeah i would agree you don't want some Something, you know, too stimulating. Or on the other hand, though, if it is something that's kind of gripping, that can be good because it does really, you know, tempt your internal monologue to stay focused. 
I would just encourage, you know, anyone who's going to give that a try to give themselves permission to just replay it. Don't, don't feel like you have to keep up with it as if it's a college lecture. You can just, you know, let yourself know that if you miss it and you need to start back a couple chapters, who cares if you listen to chapter four every night for a week, as long as you're falling asleep, you know, that's, that's the goal. Another thing people can do that I think can be really helpful too, whether it be a podcast or um, an audiobook, is to adjust the playback speed to about 80%. Because that way, when the narrator is speaking slower, your mind slows down too. And obviously, you know, that's a good thing when it comes, you know, that it's time for going to sleep. Um, just a couple more tips on that is sometimes, you know, again, people get really anxious if they have a big event the next day and they want to keep thinking about it. In those types of situations, you can say to yourself silently, the most productive thing I can do right now is sleep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that will help you to kind of give yourself permission to, to track yourself that actually the most you know productive thing you can do again is to sleep. Um, sometimes also it's helpful to just remember that even if you don't sleep, time in bed in the dark with your sleeping mask on is still very productive and rejuvenating and restorative for your body. So don't stress about whether or not you're actually falling asleep. Just take refuge in knowing that you're spending some, you know, bedtime. I love that. I love that. Lying here is productive. That's, that's, that's our new mantra from this show, Sarah. <laughs> so we have a lot of questions about being exhausted, mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. So we'll do two of them. Um, but I think, you know, the tentacles could really could reach into a bunch of different areas. Um, but Katie wrote this. Um, she says, I have been physically, mentally, and emotionally worn out since the schools closed in March. And I've been working from home with my kids. My anxiety has been through the roof. Is my body being tired related to my stress and anxiety during these times so like how 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 strong is that mind-body connection which i realize is almost you know like a rhetorical question at this point but can you kind of talk about how it manifests itself and why why it's so why it's so deep like how it resonates so deeply physically yeah i mean sometimes i think we almost need our body to to tell us that that we've had enough right so if you are someone that has a lot of just personal willpower again as many runners do because it does take a lot of personal willpower to just choose to keep going you know to, to override your body sometimes not a lot of people can do that so that iron will is an asset but it can also become a liability if we don't learn how to listen to the signals of exhaustion. I would sometimes almost think of it like when the oil light comes on in your car that you you could just say, hey, I'm tough, I can keep driving. <laughs> um, you know, but at the end of the day, all you're really gonna do is, you know, deplete your car and potentially have a blowout when you know you're least expecting it. So it, sometimes again, an especially strong-willed person, sometimes actually almost secretly, consciously or unconsciously is actually needing their body to um, start to conk out. And then they feel like they have permission to tell you know, their husband, their kids, everybody, hey, I can barely move. I have a migraine. I need to sit in my room for two days and not move. And then they feel like because they have this physical symptom, you know, now that means that it's justified to take that quiet time. 
Um, and I would encourage you that rather than waiting for that blowout, you know, this person has already articulated the situation and even has located, you know, the spike began when everybody had to start working from home and the kids were home from school. So I would encourage that person, you know, and again, I don't know you or your situation. So this is with a grain of salt and a big caveat, obviously, but in general, it can be helpful to actually think about modeling good self-care for your kids as well. Mm -hmm. We don't actually want our kids to grow up observing, you know, that, that that's the way to manage stress. So an alternative way to do it would just be to say to the husband and kids, you know, I've realized I'm starting to fray a little bit mentally and physically. And rather than waiting until I have a total blowout, I thought the healthiest thing to do for myself as well as for our family would be to, you know, take a couple of days to rejuvenate and also think about how I got to be this way in the first place. And I think one of the reasons has to do with some of the changes that began with everybody being home. And she might say, for example, I can't spend, you know, 12 hours a week trying to make sure that the kids have submitted their homework portal. So from now on, I want you kids to screenshot your homework portal printout and, you know, text it to dad and me. And if that ever doesn't happen by 5 p.m., you're not getting your allowance that week or, you know, just finding some structures so that all of this stress doesn't just keep raining down on her. A lot of times, I mean, I, I spoke earlier about that top down, bottom up thing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes managing stress is from the top down, learning how to just take time to soothe and rejuvenate. But sometimes it's from the bottom up, meaning learning what systems or boundaries need to be implemented so that we're not just a receptacle for all that stress in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so Paige has kind of a related question. She says, um, I'm just tired. I know I can run a half marathon. I've done it multiple times. I get up and hit the road or treadmill because it's what I do, but my brain is so tired and my body is lagging behind. What should we do when our mental exhaustion is at odds with our physical goals? And it sounds to me like the answer is going to be, maybe it's time to rethink those physical goals. Well, yes, uh, or, or to tweak them, right? So I, I hear her saying, you know, that she gets up and has a routine of running every morning because it's what she does, but that there's not necessarily a lot of rejuvenation that's happening in there. Um, I, I, I've run myself as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm not probably as advanced as, as your listeners, but I know that running, of course, is a discipline. Even yoga is a discipline. So when people sometimes would come to me and say, oh, I'm so stressed out, you know, maybe I should do some yoga. Sometimes they say, yeah, perhaps you should. But on the other hand, if you've already, you know, got a problem where you're exercising too, you know, much discipline in your life, yoga may not be <laughs> the solution. Um, so I would be curious, when's the last time this person had a massage? Mm. Like, what are some things that she can swap out for that commitment to her body, which is beautiful. She has a commitment to her body that she's getting up and running every day, but she's noticing that there's a depletion mentally and physically. Um, and so the 
good way to recharge yourself mentally and physically at the same time, of course, is massage. So I would at least consider the idea of saying, you know, um, even if it's not normally within her budget to get regular massages, to just try saying, you know, for the next three weeks, I'm going to have a massage once a week because I'm clearly in need of a reboot. And so I'm going to have some restorative physical activities, some restorative mental activity this week. Mm. I like the idea of restorative physical activity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And I even, and I, um, I applaud the discipline as well. Um, and, but you can also, and it's hard, I'm saying it's hard with a capital H, but um, Paige can get up and take a walk, right. Instead of taking a run, which I know walking to dedicated runners is like asking them to, I don't know, like, so drink pond algae or something like that, something you really, really don't want to do, but maybe you commit yourself just again, like just for a small period of time to, you know, making that not be a huge, you know, cardiovascular stress on the body, but instead just, okay, I'm going to get up and walk for an hour instead of run for an hour. Just see what that feels like once a week. Right. Um, right. Or to journal, you know, like to get up in the morning and to kind of go for a run with your mind, right? So to idea. pick up that pen and paper in the morning and just journal about everything that's on her mind and in her life um, and, you know, what she dreamed about or, you know, to just spend some time exploring that mind, putting some of that attention into her mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and so you've been super, super helpful, Dr. Chloe. Really, really appreciate it. I'm curious, um, when do you like... And what, if, if there's somebody, like, when do you know when it's time to talk to somebody about either your anxiety or your stress, especially during these times? And can you talk a little bit about virtual therapy and kind of how that has come along? Because I feel like it's made like huge strides in the past four or five months. Yeah, <laughs> um, video therapy has definitely skyrocketed since the pandemic. Um, I personally, at my office, we've been offering video therapy for years, um, you know, and I've been myself personally a client of, of video therapy for years as well. So it's not quite as new for us, um, but there's a lot of really great things about video therapy. You know, I wrote an article for U.S. News and World Report about this, which is that that a lot of people think sometimes that video therapy is just gonna always be second best, that there's nothing like being in person. And to a certain degree, that's true. But I actually think a lot of times with video therapy, I get to see people in their natural environment. And when people come into my office, they have their Sunday manners on a little bit. And so when I get to see them in just their real day-to-day -day space, I sometimes feel like they're actually more themselves. And I get to see you know, their actual situation. Um, so I, I just want to say sometimes video therapy can offer things that in on-site therapy cannot. Um, and as for the question of, you know, knowing when to talk to somebody, um, I would just say, why not? You know, I mean, I, I, I think if, you, if you're going to err on the side of too soon or too late, I'd rather err on the side of earlier, right? Um, also, the benefit of seeing a therapist, if you're thinking that you might need one, is that if you see them sooner, they have a better chance of seeing you closer to your baseline, mm. you know, kind of like the closest to what you're normally like, sure. instead of waiting until, you know, you feel like you're really over the line and, you know, you're trying to kind of 
explain the, the situation to the person, but it feels like it's really out there, you know, by, by the time that you reach out and, and get some help. Um, but I, I do think it's important to shop around. Um, I think a lot of times people sometimes think that just because a therapist has a lot of degrees or even worse, they put just a lot of letters after their last name, um, that might even just mean that they took a weekend you know, workshop or something, you know? Um, so I, I would really encourage people to feel like they can shop around. And if the therapist doesn't seem like a good fit, um, you know, to, to trust your instinct with high functioning people in particular, sometimes the type of therapy that's being offered actually matters less to the um, outcome of the therapy than just the actual bond and rapport mm. that you feel with the therapist. So I would just say that that part is important. Also, there's a lot of places in between doing nothing in terms of getting help and seeing a therapist, right? So there's like reading books or watching videos, um, especially when it comes to anxiety. Uh, people with anxiety tend to be very conscientious. You know, they'll, they'll read the whole book, they'll follow the self-help <laughs> directions, et cetera. You know, so there's a lot of spaces in between talking to somebody and doing nothing. Um, self-help is a good in-between space. I like that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Dr. Chloe. This was really helpful and insightful. Oh, well, it's my absolute pleasure. And, um, you know, of course, I, I appreciate you mentioning my book, Nervous Energy, which I'm super excited. It's going to be coming out and we'll have some video courses and all kinds of ways that people can connect. And even if it's just, you know, connecting through social media or any other way, um, I became a psychologist because I love to connect with people. So thanks for having me here today with you. Good. Yeah, we're going to um, connect to a bunch of things. And I, I'm thinking also that USA Today article in the show notes. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's U.S. News and World Report. Oh, U.S. Um, News and World Report. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thanks again, ladies. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Sarah, I don't know about you, but I feel really high functioning. So I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. See, um, you know, always striving, anxiety. Like, I'm like, okay, good, good at following directions, reading the whole book. I'm like, dude, I... It's a compliment. We're taking it as a compliment. We are, we are a high-functioning community around AMR. I know I'm going to get you a shirt that says, Hi, I'm Dimity, and I'm high-functioning. <laughs> as in tall. Um, well, one of the sometimes stressful aspects of running is deciding what workout to do on a certain day, especially if you're not training for a race, a situation many of us um, find ourselves in right now. So, well, we can ease that stress for you with our Many Happy Miles, an annual program that serves up a fresh workout every single day of the year. Designed by my illustrious co-host, Dimity. Take a bow, Dimity. You're high functioning. Take a bow. Um, Many, Happy, <laughs> Many Happy Miles is a forward, forward motion program not designed to culminate with a race. It's about staying fit and balanced in the game of life with running, strength training, yoga, and more. Participants in Many Happy Miles get a welcome gift, a limited edition tumbler this year, this year, and only this year, as well as discounts throughout the year on some of our favorite running gear. There's webinars with inspiring and insightful guests hosted by Dimity, a supportive community, all served up nicely in a bow with on a mobile phone app. For more details and to register, you can jump into Many Happy Miles at any point during the year. Go to manyhappymiles.com. That's Many Happy Miles, all one word in the URL. Dot com. 
Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. For all you high-functioning people out there. (laughs) 